Well, we we were singing singing ancient words. So let's turn to the ancient words in Second Peter, chapter one. We're going to be in twenty and twenty one tonight, but uh, let's start off with nineteen because that's where the section is at. That's where we were at last time. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your ancient words, the Word of truth, the Word of God. And Lord, there's uh, nothing better than getting into the very Word of God and uh, trying to get more understanding from Your Word to us, a letter sent... uh, in one great big package written by so many different people, but ultimately it's by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank You that we are sitting here and have this great privilege of opening these Bibles up to understand who the Creator is and to reveal Yourself to us. May we not ever take it for granted. Uh, To know who You are is what life is about. That's eternal life. Thank you for this evening, and as we peer into your word, we need help. We need your helper, your comforter. We need the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to give us more wisdom on to know who you are and then also how to live this life as we are here. And thank you so much for people who hunger for your word and love to get together and just uh, talk about you. It is certainly a blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen. The inspired Word of God. And, uh, you know, the question I think a lot of people would say, well, how do you know that the Bible is true? How do you know? Last time we were here, I opened up with that question. And, of course, we know about the authority of Scripture. We, We as Christians are committed to the Word of God. And we're committed to everything in here. And, uh... I think that's a blessing to be amongst people who are committed to His truth. Um, uh, much of, uh, I won't say much, but uh, uh, there's a pretty good percentage of liberal theology today that would not admit that. They'd say there's certain things in here that are of God's and then other things are just man's writing. And, uh, of course, that that's sad. Uh, t- uh, of course, in our time, uh, the liberal theology... Uh, uh, you know, has expanded in a lot of ways, and usually they wind up uh, just being self-destructive. Because if you don't have the Word of God as as the heart of your ministry, what do you have? You have nothing. And concerning the authority of Scripture, um, of course, you can go back to the apostles and through the church ages, and you think of um, the Protestant Reformation with Luther and Calvin. Uh, you think of the the creeds that came out of the uh, the post-Reformation period. Uh, the Lutheran uh, doctrine of inspiration was set forth in the form of uh, Concord. And it said something like this, We believe, confess, and teach that the only rule and norm according to which all dogmas and all doctors ought to be esteemed and judged is no other whatever than the prophetic and apostolic writings of the Old and New Testament. Uh, also, some of the writings that were in the uh, during the Reformed movement back in the 1500s where you had the second Helvetic confession. It says, We believe and confess that the canonical scriptures of the holy prophets and apostles of each testament are the true word of God and they possess sufficient authority from themselves alone and not from man. For God Himself spoke to the fathers, to the prophets, to the apostles and continues to speak to us through the holy scriptures. Westminster Confession, which is the one that's probably even the most... uh, common uh, of the Presbyterian church declared that it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal himself and to declare his will unto his church and afterward to commit the same holy unto writing. The authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God 
who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore it is to be received because it is the Word of God. Old and New Testament have been immediately inspired by God. And of course along came many others and you think uh, uh, spawning off of that <coughs> uh, Protestant Reformation which was about Scripture. It was about uh, sola scriptura. And it made its way back into the church where it had been dismissed for a thousand years, basically. But God's Word stayed alive. And uh, you think of, um, of course, the Puritans. Then you think of, uh, of course, your Edwards. And then later, people like Spurgeon. And then uh, in the late 1900s, the great Princeton theologians, Hodge, Warfield. Uh, let's throw in a, a Scottish guy, I think, Kuiper, uh, some other people. Uh, we can we can go on and on and on, but they had to fight for the word of God. Uh, of course, Spurgeon. I remember the uh, video that we watched way back in um, was about September. I think that's when Lori came in. The very first time she came here was on a night we were showing Charles Spurgeon. Have you heard much about Spurgeon since then? Have you heard his name come up? Oh yeah, I get. Uh, I hear his name all the time, and a lot of things that I listen to, but I get. A couple of his devotionals that are Charles. Ah, okay. there you go. Yeah. Were you here when we did this Virgin movie? Yes, that's like right when I first. Okay. Yeah, it's, I've I've taken an interest in it. Okay, he was he was the preacher of the 1800s. Yeah. Of course, there were there were several, but he's known uh, for his uh, immense preaching, and of course, he was involved with the downgrade controversy. The Bible was being downgraded watered down, weakened, uh, the power taken out of it. And he fought for that. And, uh, of course, it, he was in a depressed mode for a lot of the times because of all the encounters that he had. Yeah, Bob. Well, his words and others are still being, are still fighting for the, in this regard because, like, just today, I had posted one of Spurgeon's uh, quotes on uh, Facebook and immediately I had a... Uh, Disagree? Somebody, yeah, dis- yeah, exactly. That's what he said. Disagree. And then wrote his explanation about, you know, because it had to do with, uh, you know, God's sovereign grace. And I said, and my reaction, my response to the guy was, I didn't argue with him. I just said, well, you're in the majority. Then you, you agree with most people. Yes. Uh, what was yeah. the, the name of Understand the, first, that. the first creed or confession that you said the Lutheran? It was the Book of Concord. Yeah. Of course, Luther was in the very early 1500s, and then, of course, Calvin came, and then, of course, out, out of Calvin and his teachings came later some of the other uh, con- confessions. And, uh, of course, you think of the Westminster Confession of Faith that was done by a lot of the reformers. Although, basically, what they were doing was solidifying the fact the Bible is the Word of God. Now, to us, you know, I'm not here to try to prove it because everybody already believes that. But it's good to know that the Bible has a lot to say about itself. And the more you look at Scripture, which is what we're going to do tonight, and we're going to try to deal with inspiration. What is inspiration? And uh, what, what was going through the writers' uh, minds when that was happening? Or uh, what, what is that? How, how do they get inspired? Yeah, he is an inspiration. <laughs> I mean, like the things that he writes that I that I read, I mean, they're inspirational. And it's, I, I mean, I don't know. They're not always like not always rainbows. Very insightful. Very know, thought provoking. Just, just in the way, just in, in the, I don't know. I really get what he's. Well, he has a lot of humor in behind that punch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Christianity depends largely, quite largely, of what, how we take uh, and view the Scripture. And if one does not take this as the complete Word of God, and it contains many errors, then they're going to develop a radically different conception of what Christianity is, of who Christ is, of who God is. So it's real important to have a correct doctrine of uh, the inspiration of the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, it's the highest court of appeal that we have. It is our authority. And uh, it stays consistent with itself. Elder. I've got a 
I don't know, all these different people and these different confessions and everything, I think we've got something better than that. These were man's ideas that this is the Word of God, and they, that's what they were trying to show. But I think we missed something here. It says we have the prophetic word made more sure. Now that's all of the prophetic word of the Old Testament and everything. How was that made sure? God appeared to them and spoke to them and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That was the authentication of all of the prophecies about him coming and all he was going to do and what he was going to do and everything. That was confirmed by God himself speaking to these writers. That's more important than all the confessions that you can put together. And, and that and so, we skip that. We have the prophetic word made more sure. Well, the and so is kind of like the therefore. What's it there for? It connects it with the fact that God spoke to them on that mountain and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. And so, all of the prophetic word is in, wrapped up in that, him saying, He was my Son. And all of these prophecies about him are true. I've, that's the solid basis of any confession that anybody's going to write. And I, I, the confession is man-made too. All of them are. Well, you but know, the solid basis upon yeah. which they are written that and, agrees, that agrees yeah. with the, the confessions agree. Though, well, yeah, they do. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. They, but they're they're not the basis. No, the basis is God said. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, Eldon, let's go. Let's go for it. <laughs> let's go. Let's go for it. Let's, let's get into. It. The reason I say that, I know, because they're not inspired. But what they use, and it's good to know that along came, God used a reformation to get people steered back into the truth. And of course, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to do what the Scripture is saying on that. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. The reason I'm doing that, I'm setting this up as as an introduction. I'm not trying to get a word because what the word says, it says, and we've got plenty of stuff to do, and so I don't disagree at all. I'm in wholehearted agreement. That's because that's inspired. This is it right here. But it's good to know we have people that God used to bring this back into what we have today. We have a lot to be thankful for as God has used people to fight for this word. Otherwise, we could be in the same situation that people were for a thousand years. So whenever I use Reformation and such, I don't worship any part of the Reformation, but the historical aspect that we have is an incredible thing as they lifted up the Word of God. Yes? And weren't most of the confessions a rebuke? They came in response to attacks that men were making on the church. Exactly. Yeah. Right. For the tenants. Yeah. Um, and so this was their answer. Right. They had to do that to, to defend that. And, of course, you, you know you can get Scripture all you want, but the, it's still it's wrapping it up. It's putting it in a small package. What we're going to try to do is look at some of these Scriptures. They're over, my goodness, I think over 3,000 Scriptures that say something like, Thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says. So the Bible is always saying. So I'm not trying to take away, Eldon, from Scripture and the truth of it, because that's what we're heading for. But I'm just saying we have a lot to be thankful in that. And we are to carry that on today. We have to do, even even as men, to defend. Not, not We don't defend this. We just unleash it. <laughs> Let it go. But, you know, we must be able to uh, teach this Word and know what it means. Uh, boy, the, the marvelous unity of the Bible. Uh, there's no other ground than of God's authorship. Uh, one book, 66 uh, different uh, books. You know, in that book, 40 writers, over 40 writers, uh, over a period of, what, uh, 1,500 years, 1,600 years, different spheres of life. Some were kings, some were scholars.
Some were herdsmen, some were fishermen, some were educated, some were not educated at all. And that each one of those books has this messianic spirit in each one of those books. They're pointing to the Messiah. And it pervades all through the Old Testament. And you look at the New Testament, you know, you look at the Psalms, you look at the, the other writings, the prophets. Malachi closes with the Old Testament canon with the promise that the Lord whom ye seek will suddenly come to his temple. Christ came. Christ was crucified. That's the theme of the New Testament, which is the whole thing. Let's go into verse 20. But know this first of all. And there's a word there that first of all, and you might have it on your sheet there, proton is the Greek word. It might sound familiar. What's a proton? What's well, something that is first? This is bottom line. Point number one. Basic lesson. This is it. This is <laughs> what it all lies upon. This is first. Know this first. Um, if you're going to be certain about Scripture, the first thing you have to know is this basic lesson. The first thing. that No prophecy of Scripture, as, as he's talking about here. No prophecy of Scripture as a matter of one's own interpretation. Uh, Old Testament. New Testament, the whole Bible. The word Scripture, but know the first of all that no prophecy, no proclaiming of this, of Scripture, is graphe. And that might be pretty familiar with you too. What do you think of there? Graph or script, Scripture, Scriptures. The whole Bible, something that's written down, put down, and not of own interpretation. And here he gets into a word that is genita or genesis or being, coming into being. Um, no prophecy of Scripture comes into being. Or originates, or arises, coming into existence uh, from one's own interpretation. We're dealing with the source of Scripture here. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Some of you might have different uh, translations on that word. We've always heard interpretation. Um, the word there is epilusis for interpretation. Epilusis. Lusis is actually a, a loosening. Uh, if you want to take our English word coming kind of uh, from that, if it'll help a little bit, uh, it means a releasing, a loosing, a releasing. Um, and it's dealing with, in the Greek, it means the source. Something comes out of from this. Uh, it's an origination. It's a. It's not a human source. It's the source of God. No prophecy of Scripture has originated in the prophet's own understanding. Now the NIV actually has a pretty good translation there. It's pretty helpful. It says no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by a prophet's own ideas. And going along with what uh, the original language is there, that's helpful because um, the idea is what some of the uh, the false teachers would be having. Their own understanding that they have come up with, it's not of that source. And so we go back to that word epilusis, and it's dealing with the source. They don't have a source. It's coming. No truth that comes from that is the word of God can come from any other source than God. But actually, they had their source of false teaching. Uh, the prophets, the true prophets, didn't invent it. They did not invent it. It was a source of scripture. Um, if you go back to the passage, you do well 
to pay attention as to a lamp or a nightlight in the midst of worldly darkness. That's where we were at last week in 19 and 20. Give heed to this Scripture that is like a nightlight in the midst of a worldly darkness because what is in it is not the result of human inventions. And you can think like myths, the false teaching. And of course, the, that's kind of the context of this whole matter and just the... And another verse or two, that's where he's going to be hitting. Go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts. There we go. Here's what God says. God's saying, I'm speaking here. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. These are false prophets. They are leading you into futility, emptiness. They speak a vision of their own imagination, their own understanding, their own source. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. This is whenever God was bringing on judgment and he was speaking through Jeremiah. And he says, that's not, they're saying, that's not going to happen. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He has performed and carried out the purposes of His heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. (laughs) That was their own understanding, their own ideas, their own source. They had their own source. Go to Ezekiel. um, Right after the prophets there of uh, Jeremiah and of course then Lamentations and Ezekiel. And 13.3. I think it's pretty well up front. Thus says the Lord God. Here's what God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. Men are not the source. Only God is the source. And yet people say, well, men wrote this. They wrote it with their hands. Yes, they did. But it's really the writing of the Holy Spirit to put these uh, words of God down where, uh, of course, the men write it where we can read it. But the Bible is not the product of men. It's not the source of men. And that's kind of the idea of one's own interpretation. Epilusis. Mm-hmm. Yes? Didn't man, though, decide what the canon scripture was going to be? No, God did. <laughs> man uh, compiled them uh, of course, the Holy Spirit, I, I definitely believe, was uh, in on it as they put that together. But they were already written. They were already there. They were established. They had to throw out the things that were coming in. They had to select what they knew was the Word of God. It's the measure. They recognized the Word of God. Yeah, right. And it was already there. But, uh, but that's 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 what it is. And, it, of course, if there, are, uh, is, if there was one error in a writing, it was thrown out. Then why is there so much discrepancy between the Catholic Bible and this Bible? Why did they believe that what we call the Apocrypha is actually the Word of God? Yeah, they uh, they took books that were not in 
the Bible at the time when Jesus was around. Of course, he quoted from so many books out of the Old Testament. Um, that They were not included in the canon that the Hebrews had. There were writings. Um, I think how they got in there were there were a lot of things in there that could work for them and their theology as time went on, and they accepted those books. And you get into the time of Jerome. Uh, I think they, that became a part of what you know the Bible was. There are uh, some helpful uh, books that are maybe good with history and some other writings, but all of them have errors. They have uh, statements that were they were not inspired. And I think if you just re- read them, you can see a difference just in reading what God's word is versus something that claims to be in Scripture. Well, like the Book of Daniel. I mean, the Book of Daniel is in the canon of Scripture, but in the Catholic Bible, there's another section of Daniel that's in there. How? I guess just through discernment, they knew that that particular section wasn't. Yeah, the the Hebrews never um, uh, had accepted that as part of that of the canon. So it was already established. Um, Malachi was the last one that was written, and those extra books, most of those came in after that time. God did not reveal Himself in a in a written format. Mm -hmm. And they were written following the time that was the accepted time of the. Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know whether you probably have some written in Aramaic. Uh-huh. I would tend to think there would be Hebrew. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know how much uh, maybe Greek at, at the time had gotten in. I, I, uh, I need to check on that. Do you know some of that back there, Zach? Languages? Huh? A lot of it Yeah, a big percentage. But it, rec- it wasn't recognized by uh, the Jewish leaders as canonical, right? Right. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. And of course, they, they used that, that canon or that, that measuring stick. And of course, in the New Testament, most of well, that's written by apostles. And if it's not an apostle, it's somebody that was got much of his information from an apostle directly gathered up his information such as one like Luke for instance and that's why the apostolic writings are so important because that's our foundation and uh, there was not the the second generation none of those books were included it it stopped in in the 90s AD when after John wrote Revelation so um, yeah, and I don't even know if they even read even those books. They don't read any of the other scripture as a whole, and I won't say blanket that statement on everybody, but as a whole, they usually don't read their Bibles. They've, they've been discouraged for 1,500 years. I was biblically illiterate. And they would rather you be that way. And they, they will tell you. They don't want you to be... Huh? That's right. I'm glad you state that because whenever some um, people will understand this, and this is what the Catholic version of this, verse 20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. They will use that to say the average person shouldn't be reading the Bible because you're going to get some ideas that's going to be different than what the Catholic Church will be teaching. They don't want you to be doing that. I mean, and they've stated that. They don't. That's why they kept it in Latin until, my goodness, basically, in uh, this within the last century. Well, yeah, the church I go to is full of recovering Catholics, and almost every one of them that I've ever spoken to said that the reason they've got away from it is because they, and even though they've been discouraged from, to, about reading the Bible, they went ahead and read it anyway, and then they started questioning a lot of the. the you betcha. That's why they're saying it's a matter of one's own interpretation. And and that's not what this passage means. But that's how they interpret it, the Roman Roman Church. Um, turn to First Peter one ten. This is an incredible statement. As to this salvation, the prophets 
who prophesied of the grace that would come. Grace that would come. To you made careful searches and inquiries. They wrote it, but they had questions like, what does that mean? Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Incredible thing about the gospel. The gospel of grace. They didn't quite understand everything that they wrote. So, somebody who has their own source would write something and they're going to know what that means. That's because it's their own source. But if it's the source is God, they could still write Scripture and still not know the depth of that. They were wondering how, who, when. You know, what what all is this? It wasn't of their invention, was it? They just wrote what the Holy Spirit told them to write. So how could they be searching and inquiring into their own inventions to find out what it was meant if they wrote it? (laughs) You know what you write. (laughs) You know what it means. But they knew it was the Spirit of Christ that that they were uh, writing down. So from Moses, first five books, all the way to Malachi, even in the New Testament, when even when you think of the first coming, they they really had difficulty with understanding. And the second coming today, we know, has a lot of things that we don't uh, know. There's some mystery in behind that, but uh, you know they they couldn't fully understand it. So no prophecy ever came by an act of human will, as it says in verse 21. It's not an act of human will, somebody's own free will, I guess. Uh, But it's, on the other hand, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But Allah, contrary, contrary to that, so the humans, as far as writing what God is on their own, see that. So that source is so much to really dig down into. And you think about it, things have been revealed to us, and it's not man's wisdom. Man could never come up with knowing the nature of God, you know, the attributes of God. They couldn't know the origin of this universe. They couldn't know the purpose, the plan of this world. They couldn't know about man who has fallen in sin and his helpless condition that he has. Man without God's word and the Holy Spirit couldn't know could not know about redemption. Uh, could not know about substitutionary atonement, life and death of Christ, the glories of heaven. Nobody knows about those things. Um, inerrancy. We believe in inerrancy. That means there are no error in Scripture. It requires that God shall choose His own words. Man will make errors, right? But God's words cannot. So, unless the Bible can be quoted as an inspired book, its authority and usefulness for preaching and comfort and whatever uh, is watered down. I mean, if, if if this is really not an inspired book. So thus saith the Lord. In, in verse 21, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And here's, here's the key thing that we're, we're after tonight. Moved by the Holy Spirit. These men were moved, these prophets, these writers. Um, and it's a present, passive, participle, which means they were continually carried along. Anytime it was time to write, they were borne along with that. Um, it's like a ship. It's, that word is used also in Acts 27, verse 15 and 17, where it talks about like a ship that is moved along. The sails are opened up, the wind comes and moves it on along. The prophets raise their souls. Okay, and they're really that—that's their sails. 
And they raised those up. And they were continually carried along as they wrote the very Word of God. I think that's an incredible thing. It's like the very breath of God blew them along in the direction uh, as they wrote under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in Luke one seven. you have to love what's said there. God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets. God spoke by using human mouths that's amazing that he would do that. Why didn't he just speak and it just echoes out all over the world? I guess if he wanted to do that, he could have done it. But he chose men to reveal who he is and to have them write it down. Recorded by men. Authored by God, the Holy Spirit, but men recorded this down. The Word of the Lord. 3,808 times. There's the official number. I counted them last night. <laughs> 3,808 times the writers refer to their words as the very words of God. So the Bible is always testifying of itself. And when you really start thinking about it, you go, oh yeah, thus saith the Lord, here's the word of the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit inspired the writers, moved them along to be able to do that. This is a process called inspiration. Inspiration. I'll get to that word in a moment. These are living men. These are people like us. They're not something a little less than God and in between man and God. They're men. They're they're human beings. uh, They weren't lifeless pens. They weren't passive. They were active. But the Holy Spirit, through them writes God's flawless Word. How do they do that? I don't know. I don't know how that worked. That's a supernatural phenomenon. It doesn't happen today. That inspiration was something that laid down the foundation. God superintending human authors to write His very Word down and we have it all right in front of us. He used individual personalities the experiences, thought processes, everything that they've had that He's prepared them for. They were, they were born, brought into this world, and they were trained in the way that He wanted using their personality, and yet their people, their men, they sinned. They were sinners, uh, but they composed and recorded without any error the very perfect revelation of God. Oh, sure. And the, uh, you think of the epistles of Paul. Uh, you see his personality there. Um, the word inspired, and that's the key word for the day, is Theo. Neustos. Theo is God. And Neustos, or, or you think of Numa, right? Pneumatic tires. You ever heard of that? Numa, which is spirit or wind. Pneumonia. Pneumonia. And we get our English words from there. This is God breathed. God breathed. It's not so much as them breathing it in as it is Him breathing out. God inspired. Theoneustos. Breathed out by God. God breathed. God given. God breathed. A divine origin of this product. Now, in inspiration, there are a couple of things that are mentioned in inspiration. One is plenary inspiration and then verbal inspiration. And they're both. You've ever heard of verbal plenary inspiration of God? may seem like big words or not. Um, Good way to explain it. It's a full... Plenary is a full, sufficient influence of the Holy Spirit 
that extends to all parts of the Bible. Plenary is dealing with the whole Bible as as all of the parts. And so it's uh, the authority that is revealed from God through the minds and wills of men. And it's over the whole thing, the whole part. Verbal inspiration is dealing with the words. There we're talking about, and, and plenary is like the whole Bible. Then we get into verbal inspiration, and we're talking about the very words, the divine influence that surrounded these sacred writers. Uh, it wasn't just general thoughts, but we're talking down into the very words they used so that the thoughts that God intended, they put down exactly. Wait a minute, it's not just kind of re interpreting what he's saying, but exactly what he had. Uh, whatever God said, that's what what is there. And so that's getting into quite a bold statement when we're saying verbal plenary inspiration. <laughs> a lot of people say the, the God's word is inspired, but they don't like to get into that part because they'll say, well, there's some parts in there that uh, is scientifically wrong. They're not. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, Okay, sorry there. Um, infallible accuracy. And, and each word. Um, I think it's a striking phenomenon whenever we think that they received this. That's what, As they're being moved along, they received this. What a phenomenon. I, I don't know how they knew what it was or did they know at that time, but thus saith the Lord. Whenever God is speaking to them and they know that that's what's happening... Uh, it's only from God. Look in First Corinthians chapter two, and boy, we've we've used this chapter so much, and this is just incredible. Chapter one is incredible, starting at around verse eighteen, the power and wisdom of God, and in chapter two, um, well, let's start in verse six. Yet. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because that's where everything was pointing to. But just as it is written, here we go, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. You wonder why you have so much hunger for God's Word? You can't wait to open it up and get into it. You can't wait to hear it. I mean, you want to be surrounded by it all the time. You know the reason why? It's not because of you or me. God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, freely given. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And on the, on the contrary, here's the opposite, but a natural man, one who has not been born again, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They have no hunger for God's Word. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, this very passage, just listen to you read it, maybe think a few weeks ago I heard Adrian Rogers uh, talking about... Uh, you know, intellectuals that say, well, I read the Bible and it didn't make any sense to me. And he said, 
Well, uh, the Bible is God's love letter to His children, so if it doesn't make any sense to you, maybe you're reading somebody else's book. <laughs> like that. That's good. That's good. Let's see what the Old Testament says about writers claiming inspiration. That that uh, passage in Corinthians really uh, says a lot, doesn't it? Gives a lot of answers of why things are the way they are. Um, Deuteronomy in chapter 18, dealing with Moses. Of course, Moses being a prophet. I will raise up a prophet among their countrymen like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he'll speak to them all that I command him. There, he's talking about uh, uh, the ultimate prophet who is to come. And of course, Moses was a type of Christ. Uh, Jesus was the prophet, wasn't he? But uh, there's Moses. Moses was a prophet, priest, and a king. Uh, that's inspiration right there when he says in verse 18, I'll put words in his mouth. He'll speak them. Moses had words that were put in his mouth. We have the first five books of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, if you back up in verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. Now, there's a lot of people that are going to go around saying, well, the Lord told me. And that really does injustice to what we're talking about the Lord said in the written Word of God. Now, God can communicate to us and, and such, but we have to be really careful about using that kind of phraseology because another person said, well, the Lord told me, and it's totally something different. Uh, just going on um, subjective thoughts. Uh, objective truth is here. And if it doesn't agree with this objective truth, then whatever the Lord told you uh, is something that you had some kind of dream about. But if it's not agreeing with this, it's absolutely worthless. And it's nothing new. If, if it's something new than this, then... Um, my Bible says that the Bible's not to be added to. So we don't need people coming up with new revelation. But we hear of that today. Then we don't have the completed Word of God if that be the case. We're in a, we're in a mess if that happens. Jeremiah chapter 1. Now God can give us insight off of Scripture or even pers- uh, personalities or different things we go through, but it never disagrees with God's Word. And he uses he uses circumstances. He uses people to get uh, a message through to us. I don't discount those, but for people putting themselves on par with Scripture, I cannot listen to that. Jeremiah one nine. Then the Lord stretched out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, "Behold, I have put my words in your mouth." That's inspiration, isn't it? Jeremiah. Like Moses had his that the words that came straight from God. Look in Isaiah fifty-one, sixteen. I have put my words in your mouth. There again, that's God speaking to Isaiah. Uh, other passages. Look in some of the minor prophets. Look in Hosea. Hosea one. Verse 1, the word of the Lord which came to Hosea. Uh, Want to keep going? Look in Amos. And again, chapter 1, verse 1, or actually verse 3 by the time you get to... Thus says the Lord. And then comes the judgment on the surrounding nations. Thus saith the Lord, right? We're so familiar with you can look in Micah 1.1, Malachi 1.1. And the word for prophet to the Hebrew means spokesman. The word is nabhi, <laughs> spokesman. He's speaking for God. God's spokesman. New Testament writers wrote about the Old Testament. How many times do you see that throughout 
uh, scripture. Go to one Hebrews, Hebrews three seven. You see it all over the New Testament, don't you? But the Old Testament writers, thus saith the Lord. What does the New Testament writers say? Hebrews three seven. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says. And here's a quote out of the Old Testament. Just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, right? As the Holy Spirit says. So this is all making it valid that God is showing so many different ways that He wrote it. And these guys kind of write it down. They claim full inspiration, though, from them. The Holy Spirit claims in the New Testament for their own writings. I think it is really incredible. Just in our own Second Peter passage um, or text that we're at. Look in chapter 3. I think this is fascinating. 3, verse 15 and 16. He's talking about Paul in 15. According to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, on which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. What is Peter saying about Paul? Whatever he said was true. Matter of fact, there were some things that Peter didn't understand exactly. The, the, the deep things that Paul had written and uh, the wisdom that was given. That there, he says some things that are hard to understand. Uh, rest of the Scriptures. That, so what they had read there, there were the, the rest of the same way. So there is uh, claiming full inspiration from God. And, and boy, could we go to a lot of passages there. We don't have the time tonight. It's already after eight. It's not a mechanical theory in that it's automatic writing. There's some books that have come out called God Calling. And the lady said, hey, this I was inspired by God and I wrote down what God gave me and it was just like on par with Scripture. This is Thus Saith the Lord. Now that's a, been a bestseller book. We had people always ordering that book and getting it in the store, but... The um, the problem with that is that she's actually claiming what the apostles had received. And that can't happen. We have a, a closed book that uh and it wasn't and she claims it was automatic writing. She didn't even think any of these things. Her hand went down and she just started writing. Just came out like that. Yeah. Most of your cults will say that. Yeah. Exactly. Just boom. That's right. Most of your cults will will come from that angle. Um, these these guys, uh, even though you know they're not they're not machines, they they were thinkers. They they were willing and writing this down. There's all sorts of peculiar styles. Uh, if their native tongue was Hebrew, they wrote in Hebrew. If their native tongue was in Greek, that's what they did. If uh, if they were educated, they wrote as educated men. If they were not educated, they still wrote as educated men, but it was stated in a way that uh, it might be the kind of uh, language that would be like from Galilee, for instance. You know, they didn't have that same kind of education maybe that Paul had, but yet it's perfect, you know. And uh, these announcers of all these messages, the human personalities, individual natures, and God chose some of them to be able to write history. He wrote some of them to write poetry. He chose some of them to set forth amazing doctrines. And, uh, of course, you think of the talents and education, the experience that God just weaved them into. And, of course, you think of Jeremiah. God says, I chose you, you know, from what? For the womb, right? I, I knew you, you know. I formed you. That's you know. He gave them that background to be able to do it. It's still their own personality, but yet it's God writing that. And so you have these men that were in the the right place at the right time, and they wrote to particular books, particular messages that were exactly designed for them to write. That's a sovereign God controlling exactly how He wanted to get His uh, truth out from these men, and. Uh, 
sometimes it's it's kind of like a dictation, but it's not a straight dictation because I've already mentioned about their personality. But sometimes he just says, "Thus saith, write this," and that's what they wrote. Uh, you have thinkers, you have uh, composers. Uh, some deliberated on as they wrote these things and as they recollected and poured out their very hearts and they all were kept from writing any error. And it was, uh, you know, it's just it's incredible. It's like God is uh, the driver <laughs> of this car, making it go and governing it the way that He wants. Um, how are we to know that the Bible is the Word of God? Well, we've seen objective truths here. God has made claims. These men made claims. This is what God gave them. And you can go back and you can look. You can look at prophecy. You can look at uh, the 300 and some odd prophecies of just the Messiah in itself. And they're all true. The ones that came on, on His first coming. And you can look at that historically, whether it be the town where He was going to be born, when He was going to be born, what tribe. I mean, you go on and on. And that's an external testimony from the Word of God. There's an internal testimony that we have that means a lot to us too. And it's found, I think, 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to close it up here real quick. I'm getting right near the end. But in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, it says, But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Uh, to us, we who are Christians, we know that it's the very power of God. We know that this is the wisdom of God. We know because He tells us, the Bible tells me so, but I also think of Romans 8.16. We're there, and I think it can definitely entail Scripture, where it says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Holy Spirit tells us. It's not a burning in the bosom like the Mormons have, but it's the Holy Spirit who lives in us tells us that this Word is truth. And so it's not some kind of mysticism that we have, but it's based upon objective truth and then our subjective senses and that the Holy Spirit is also living here. And so it's uh, of the utmost importance that we see that uh, we are to be rooted, rooted and grounded into this doctrine of plenary inspiration, verbal plenary inspiration. It will stand the test of all the scholarship and historical investigation, whether it be done by lawyers, which there have been quite a few, uh, all the, the facts, everything that's there will always stand the test in anything that people want to put it to. Anybody that's honest-minded if they will be true to what they see and hear. We have the inspired Word of God. I found it interesting that uh, Peter knew that what Paul had was truth. So it was also given to him that he understood. Yeah, because I was kind of like, oh, okay, I haven't really thought about that before. How did they know, you know what the other guy was doing was right? Yeah, I wanted to show some other passages about that too where they support each other yeah, and know that it's that what they write there is fully straight from the Word of God, yeah. the very mouth of God. Interesting because they didn't recognize it off each other. Yeah, it's one thing yeah. to do that, but then to recognize somebody else doing that same thing in a different genre, a different way, it's just producing it. Yeah, the witness, the Spirit gave witness to them. Yep. And to know those guys never colluded most of them. You know, uh, I, uh, I don't in any way mean this to make myself look spiritual. Because See you guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that we all have similar experience, uh, but um, i got to keep it going. You were talking about how the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to us. Or you know, re- reveals that it is the truth of the word of God, and sometimes the enemy, you know, will throw some doubt in there or whatever to the critics or whatever. And uh, I know, I believe that it's the word of God. I know this word of God, so it doesn't matter what the critics say. And yet, the thing that really just blows it away for me is when I look at the cross. 
look at the cross and I see the Lamb of God hanging on that cross. It all comes together. All the rest of it just melts away. It just melts away. So it's all focused on, isn't it? What is 1 Corinthians 1? Christ crucified is what Paul preached. Christ crucified. They can't understand that. They can't touch it. It makes no sense to them. And it makes every bit of sense to us. That should chase the devil away. Uh, Jesus did that, didn't he? <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Bob, would you close us there? We'll close in uh, speaking uh, the words of God in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Christ's name, amen. Amen. Smart, Bob. I'm not going to say your own human word, though. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't do anything justice, but to read it out of here. <laughs>